Welcome to The Run. This is episode uh, 29. Patty and Jerry, we're back at it. And uh, I want to get a quick plug in here, as always, Jerry, for uh, Creative Grounds. Uh, stop <laughs> by. You love when I get those plugs I do. In, I do. Especially when I get them in early uh, for Creative Grounds. Uh, we uh, record above uh, Creative Grounds at Eastside Creative Center. So thank you to Victor, Jody, and Trenton, uh, the Summers family, uh, for their hospitality ongoing. And with that, uh, we have uh, our second guest since our, we're going to call this uh, phase two since we came back here strong. Yeah, it is our second guest. Yeah, we had uh, Chris Owens a few pods ago uh, from uh, St. John's uh, discussing his career as a Miramichi Timberwolves player, then mm-hmm. on to Acadia, and then pro in Europe, and that was fascinating. And I suspect today will be equally as fascinating as we uh, get uh, former Times and By Transcript far. journalist uh, Neil Hodge, no stranger to New Brunswick sports fans, is that name, and uh, I'll allow you to uh, bring well, Neil the, on. the intention was to get Neil Hodge and uh, Bruce Hallahan, a lot of the great scribes that that do a great job in our province in, in covering sports. It just so happens that uh, Neil Hodge has decided to not be doing that anymore and is now going to take on a position with the New Brunswick government. And we thought, apropos, good motivation for us to get Neil Hodge to join us here on the run. And real quickly, taking a new position with Tourism, Heritage, and Culture, where I also worked uh, ever so briefly in uh, 2016. So our worlds collide uh, yet again. Neil, uh, welcome. Well, thanks for having me aboard, guys. I appreciate it. Well, we've been we've been talking about this for a long time, and just that the fact that you're going to change jobs uh, has motivated us a little bit more. So uh, first of all, the, the, the outpouring of, uh, of uh, yeah. support and appreciation uh, for you, whether or not you knew you had it or not has uh, been tremendous the last couple of days yeah you know what i'm really humbled and uh, humbled and touched uh, all, all people a lot of people i know and some other people i don't know some people i know but haven't talked to for geez, in some cases 15 20 years and really some names from far in the past uh, you know people from uh, around new brunswick uh, the maritimes uh, quebec uh, you know even down into maine from when the lewis maniacs were part of the qmjhl uh, yeah, I'm really, really humbled. I mean, my only purpose for putting that on Twitter is, you know, I write two to three, I've written two to three stories a day for mm-hmm. the paper for 31 years, and I thought it might look strange if I just suddenly just disappeared. Off. <laughs> and so I wanted people to know that I was leaving. And I wanted to thank the readers for their readers for their loyalty and uh, express my sincere appreciation for their, for their following over the years and uh, let them know it was a pleasure to serve them and um, just to wish everybody all those people uh, best of luck in their future and, and i wanted them just to let them know what i was going on going on to do uh neil jerry and i are a good little team here jerry focuses on stats and play and i i always respond to the emotional side of things and i, I had something similar happen a few years ago when i bailed out on the radio career and uh, joined the automotive industry and uh the question here or, or, or the line I'm taking us down here is I didn't realize until I left how much you mean to someone. And that sometimes when you're sitting in a radio studio, in your case, uh, uh, in, in the balcony of an arena or in a lonely hotel room or in the on your bus when you're bashing on your keyboard, it seems very lonely. It seems very solitary at times. But did you know that you reach that many people and uh, reach them often? Well, I knew the subject matter that I wrote about, the Wildcats themselves, reach that many people i always thought of it i always thought about it as the, as my subject matter meaning the wildcats reaching that many people i never really thought about it as neil hodge reaching that many people like i never personalized it in that way does right. that make sense um, yes perfectly um, yeah so so no it really surprised me and caught me off guard i mean some of the comments i mean just off the top of my head i mean i had a few people saying you know uh these, these are people that are adults now with married with kids and they're writing these things on Twitter and social media saying that when I was a kid in right. middle school, I was a, right. or in high school, I was I would cut out all your articles and pin them on my bedroom wall. Wow. My wall was filled with your articles. Other people saying, you know, uh, I had a scrapbook uh, with all your articles in it, cut them out. Other people say, some some people said I learned to read in English, uh, reading your Stuart Wildcat stories. Wow. Uh, there's one one person. Uh, I'll even say his name, Jamie Tozier. Mm-hmm. He writes the blog uh, Station Nation for the Seat. Yeah, John on Twitter. Dog. Yep, Station Nation. Yeah, yep. Yep. He really touched me. He said that the uh, he said something to the effect. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, Neil, I hope you realize that you inspired a whole future generation of New mm. Brunswick sports writers. So whether that's true or not, it was really nice of him to say that, say that. And I was just really touched and humbled by so many comments from so many people. So all that said, Neil, um, and perhaps this is an unfair question because uh, your transition just happened the last 48 hours. Um, so I'll apologize in advance, but are you ready to put it in your rearview mirror? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. You know what? Uh, 
Well, first of all, at the very beginning of the introduction in the show, when uh, when you said, you know, today we're having former times in transcripts, sports yeah. writer Neil Hodge, just hearing the word former, that's mm-hmm. the first time I've heard anybody refer to me as that, so that's, uh, that hit home a little bit, and uh, each day it's become a little more real. It was totally my choice, obviously. Uh, I guess to say this, uh, you know what, after the final Wildcats game in the playoffs, uh, it was a Sunday night. They lost in overtime uh, in a game that didn't mean anything because they'd already been eliminated the night before, and yet they still had to play one more game after right. being eliminated in this strange season. <laughs> um, it was about 11 o'clock on the Sunday night. The only people left in the Avenir Center in Moncton were myself in the press box. I was alone in the press box, and then mm-hmm. there was the building cleaners down below doing their job. And I sat in the press box. I had applied for this job about two months ago mm-hmm. with the government of New Brunswick, and when I wrote that final story and the final game in the playoffs i filed the story and then i shut down the computer put it in my bag and then i just sat there for about 20 25 minutes in the press box alone mm. just stared over center ice stared at the some banners mm. championship banners hanging in the rafters uh, stared at the empty seats stared at the home bench the visitors bench uh, i don't know i was just staring around the building and it was a moment of reflection or a good 20 25 minutes of total silence and just reflecting on some some memories over the years and uh it was that was my moment of closure that night and i left the rink that night i thought i had a good chance at the job so i i was feeling and hoping that that was the final not that that was the final chapter of my uh, journalism career that night and as it turned out that turned out to be the case interesting 31 years neil i mean Yes, there's a moment of reflection for you, and, and especially when it comes to the, the years as uh, not only a, a Wildcat uh, beat reporter, and I'll use that term, but uh, well, you were there from the get-go with the Alpines, and, and uh, Patty remembers the Alpines, and, and, he, and he, the first thing he, he said, well, we got to get Neil on, and I want to ask him about well, some Alpine stuff, all right. and that's where we're going to go next. All right, so let me jump in, Neil, before you do, uh, just for some context. So uh, 1995, I'm a, a student at NBCC uh, Woodstock. Uh, cut loose to do my thing at uh, the former uh, C103. Actually, I think it was Rock 103 in those days. Yeah, right. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, what am I in 1995? I'm 18 years old, coming on 19 years old. I don't know a soul in Moncton. Um, so all of a sudden, a night out of the ring seemed like, okay, this is my thing. I'm going to go to these games. And there was no shortage of tickets. You couldn't give them away. Uh, they were at <laughs> they were at uh, the radio station. So they would say, anyone want tickets tonight? Uh, Drummondville's in town. You'd say, shit, I'm going to that. And, and, and Neil... I mean, the outing to the rink and, and the social aspect for me was, uh, you know, the desired result. Uh, either way, there were some long, lonely nights there, but it didn't start out as well as anyone would have ever had projected or planned. And uh, I just like to refresh folks on that because the Wildcats are a, a, a machine on the ice. They're a machine off the ice now. They're well-branded. They're well-funded. Uh, they're well-attended, but it didn't start out on, on, on the golden path that they had anticipated. And just some memories from that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. I mean, that first season, I mean, Moncton Alpines in 95-96 as an expansion team, they only averaged a... 600 fans per game Wow! at the, at the 6,800 seat Moncton Coliseum. Wow. Um, building, building was cavernous. I mean, there was, there was no atmosphere. It was a, there was a 12 or 13 person ownership group. Uh, I think there were only two local people in the group. They were mostly based to, well, from Ontario and out West and even parts of the U S it was an absentee ownership group. And that was a big part of the problem. Yeah. There was a lack of marketing. There was a lack of knowledge of the, of the market itself. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think they just thought that group, they were naive. And the Moncton, have to remember, Moncton, the final season for the American Hockey League in Moncton was 93-94. So the building, Coliseum was empty. Moncton didn't have a high-profile team in any league for the 94-95 season. So Moncton had had a one-year hiatus from any Mm high-level league. And uh, I think they just felt, this group, I think they just felt that, you know, well, after after a year off of no high-level hockey in Moncton, we just have to say there's a game Friday night. Seven o'clock at the Coliseum. We don't even have to do any marketing. They were sadly mistaken, and mm-hmm. some of their some of their pricing was out of, out of whack for the market. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, they had a weak team on the ice. But I don't think the weak team on the ice was uh, was the issue. I mean, they were fourteen, forty-eight, and eight 
first year. And uh, see I don't how, know how he reels that off. Just yeah, he's got that in his head. Fourteen forty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. I can remember that team's record in ninety five, ninety six. But I'll forget to put the garbage out on Tuesday morning. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Neil. Uh, uh, just just leading up to that uh, ninety five, ninety six season, and don't let me talk down to you here. Uh, but do you remember? Uh, I believe it was ninety four, the year I graduated high school. I remember being at the game when Moncton kind of dipped their toe in the CHL waters by hosting that all-star game for lack of better do you remember that yeah i sure do yeah, yeah they they hosted it and uh, it was a sold out building and uh, yes. that's what gave them the uh, impetus and the, the confidence to move forward with with the project and then and then you know uh, that's where the ball really got rolling and of course halifax had joined the halifax movement right. had joined the qmjhl mm-hmm. as the first maritime team in the 94 95 season and then i know that people in moncton were prospective owners john graham was really the point mm-hmm. man and uh former race car driver out of Ontario and he was the the point man that he, he headed up the project and recruited the owners owners and and put together the ownership group eventually and uh, I know they went down to Halifax several times in the 94-95 seasons to uh, take a look at what was happening there and then they thought they were going to have an automatic similar success story a month and that didn't pan out of course at I remember so many stories from that 95, 96 team. I mean, do you well, think yeah. What, what about the story you used to tell me about? You went, and of course, it seemed like money was tight, but didn't you go to a game one night and you were in some rink and you didn't have sticks? Well, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. I'm just okay. going to back up one thing first. They, in the draft in June, so the, at the draft in June that year, the draft was in Victoriaville, and I drove up on my own, mm-hmm. but, the, <laughs> but they took – they they had a private airplane and they flew all their scouts up on two different airplanes like their same airplane but two trips. Uh, they flew everybody up, including the chef with the big white hat, and you know all the other teams in the league would have a hospitality suite, but it would be like <laughs> crack cheese and crackers and chips and some sandwiches and you know regular right. type stuff. And they the Moncton Alpines were there in full force, and they looked like they were going to be a first class outfit. And wow, they had the chef and he was flipping things in the air in a frying pan with flames going up in the air and they had lobster and shrimp and and they were going all out and they they flew into the draft on a private airplane and they looked like they were going to be the real deal and then by christmas they were they they were doing a cash call and they lost three hundred thousand dollars that year wow they 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 had two cash calls that year almost went bankrupt the the league ended up buying the team and uh and then robert irving eventually bought the franchise from from the league so is it so. robert's idea and i should know this but neil was it robert's idea or did somebody go and approach robert from the league uh was it robert well it was a little bit of both um, yeah uh, robert was robert had owned a team in the maritime junior a right hockey league right earlier in the in the 80s called the Moncton plumbing hawks mm-hmm. and uh he'd always had a passion he'd, he'd yes. always a hockey fan at heart and Bob Crosman was his right hand man and uh and had a high ranking position within the Irving Group Moncton and uh they attended some of Moncton Alpines games, uh, quite a few of them I believe, and uh they saw what was happening, they saw the lay of the land and then you know, that team was gonna leave Moncton and uh there was lots of reports that the team was gonna be was on the verge of being sold and moved to Bay Como mm-hmm. and then Robert kinda came in at the eleventh hour and purchased the team from the league and uh I still remember the the introductory press conference at, at the old Moncton City Hall. They uh, to announce that Rob, to announce Robert as the new owner um, and to announce that the new team name and everything. They had a it was a lot of fanfare around that and a lot of excitement. And most people felt that he was probably the only person who had the resources right. and whatnot to make it happen and turn turn around a sad sack situation. And I remember they they held a a fan contest to name the team and they wanted to rebrand the Alpines and change the team colors and team name and everything. They held a name, the team contest. And I remember having a, there was a press conference at the old city hall and they, and on stage and it was hundreds and hundreds of people, the public were invited to it. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people crammed into the city hall, the foyer. And, uh, they had a, uh, they had this huge, it looked like a huge box and it was covered over by, by a bunch of, uh, <laughs> Like, like bed sheets and big covers, and nobody nobody could tell what it was. And then they they finally named the team. They said, and the name of the team is the Moncton Wildcats. And at the same time, they said Wildcats. They lifted the cover up, and there was a they had a, a tiger from the zoo, and the tiger roared right on cue. 
Jesus. A live tiger. A live tiger from the Magnetic Hill Zoo. Wow. And as soon as they as soon as they said the name of the team is the Moncton Wildcats, I kid you not, they raised the curtain off of the off the uh, cage and the tiger came came to life and roared. Wow. <laughs> now, <laughs> like to to do a deep dive here, is that the famous Tomar of the Tiger? Yeah, it was Tomar the Tiger, exactly. And then <laughs> years later, of course, when Tomar got sick and died, but prior to that, they went out and filmed them. And then every right. time they'd score a goal, they used to flash used... Tomar the Tiger on right. the scoreboard with a big roar. Yeah, Neil, let me jump in here. Um, absentee ownership aside, uh, the bullshit off the ice aside, um, yeah. where were the fans? It, was it was it was it AHL hangover? Uh, did they not understand junior hockey or a combination of both? I just don't understand where where that disconnect is. Yeah, I think it was a, a, a lot of different factors. Absentee ownership, I think it was a lack of marketing. Um, and even all the local media in Moncton wasn't on board, um, wasn't on board with the, the idea of junior hockey. They, and, and the team didn't get as much coverage as it probably deserved in, in all the media. Mm-hmm. And that was a factor. I think... Uh, I think some of the prices were out of whack. Um, people, the prices for that junior team were to attend games was actually more than the American Hockey League was, and a lot of people had trouble with that, saying why we sure. pay more to watch junior hockey than we would professional hockey. I get it. And there was no question there was a, an American Hockey League hangover. Um, the city, there was a lot of fans in Moncton that had their hearts set on AHL coming back into town, and it took a long time, a couple yeah. of years before they people finally realized what reality was and it wasn't coming back that we're entering a new era here so perhaps an unfair question neil um and i'm appealing to your memory here um and maybe this is unfair um um if they weren't at the alpines games was there an uptick in moncton beavers and aigle blue games like where were, were the fans getting hockey somewhere else yeah, I think so. I think some of the other teams were getting a little marginally more attendance yeah. but i think it was kind of just a uh an overall uh, fan layoff, if I can put, use that term. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of people just took took some time off hockey. To be honest with you, because mm-hmm. I don't think the other teams had a, had a major fan increase during during that time. Well, it happened in both. You know, not only did it happen in Moncton, like you say, the AHL hangover, but St. John always considered themselves an AHL city and what's Major Junior coming in here for. And the same thing happened in St. John's. I mean, that was the problem with the Fog Devils was, of course, the competition for the for the team itself. But that the fact that the fans felt like, you know, we've had the AHL here. Why are we going to go watch Major Junior? And I think that's been a maritime uh, a thing uh, all along. I don't know if Halifax ever had that problem when they, you yeah. know, go from the you go from the Voyagers to the Mooseheads, but um, it seemed to be a maritime thing that there was a lot of AHL teams in the Maritimes. And why are we going to go watch Major Junior when we had the AHL here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think there was a lack of awareness too. Uh, I think the fans just weren't weren't really aware. Absolutely, of the, dif- the difference between and this is definitely. I want to stress this is definitely not a shot at the Maritime Junior A Hockey League. I, I love I love Junior A Hockey, mm-hmm. and I think the Maritime Junior A Hockey League is tremendous product it always has been still is and uh i would buy tickets to go watch the maritime hockey league any day Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of fans back then that didn't see a difference between qmjhl and maritime hockey league and they just thought it was an extension of and i don't think they saw it as a higher caliber um so that was was just a lack of awareness i always i always compare major juniors having uh, whatever midget teams they're coming from, and they they don't call it midget anymore, the under eighteen majors or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, usually, you get the top two players from each team that are going to go play in the queue. You have the best players from major from from midget that'll end up in the queue to create teams, and and it was always the cream of the crop, and there was always. You know, and and Neil, you saw it more as you got closer to the ice because usually we'd be sitting up high. But I remember right. on the road with you, and we'd go down on the bench for a, a morning skate, and you really see how fast these guys are going and the abilities yep. that they have. That upstairs looks like it's pretty easy. When when you're down on the ice surface, it was not. Yeah, exactly. One thing I always told people is, from the press box, uh, getting that bird's eye view, you can. You can see what players are attempting to do. You can yeah. you can pick out. You can you can see the mistakes happening quicker, and you can mm. recognize nice plays and bad plays quicker. But you do lose some of the speed, and then down below you see the speed of the game, and maybe you don't see the play developing quite as much. So we like to delve into. Uh 
when we talk about memory banks and favorite this and favorite that. That's where we're going to go next with you. Mm-hmm. We want to know, uh, you know, it's it, your job requires a uh, level of communication with the coach. And you need to, to be uh, in good standing with the coach. Who do you yep. think was your favorite coach for candid comments? Uh, you had good standing with them and really got along well. Oh, gee, I don't know if I could name one because I, I really... Well, name more than one. Name more than one. <laughs> okay. I am I feel I'm really fortunate, you know, because in a, I was a journalist, a sports journalist for 33 years, including 31 of the Times and Transcript and Telegraph Journal, and uh, I never had conflicts with coaches of the teams that I covered. Hmm. Um, um, but if I had to pick out a couple with the Wildcats, uh, you know, uh, Real Paymont was tremendous to deal with. Yes. Um Always got along well with him. He went. He go off the record with me, and uh, Danny Flynn was was very good too. And these are even keel. I always respected the coaches that are, especially respected the coaches that are even keel after a game with the media, win or lose. And right. It's, it's, I always respected the fact that you know it can't be easy for players and coaches. You know, if they just lost a tough game, whether they got blown out of the game or if they just lost a three-two game because of a gave up a late goal in the third period and lost a tough three-two game where they play their hearts out, and then they got a, somebody like me with the microphone in their face 10 minutes later right. asking them questions. It's, it's not, not easy. an easy no. position, and I tried to always put myself in their position in, in the way you frame questions. And But, you know, some of those coaches, Real Pema, Danny Flynn, uh, those guys are real pros, and, they, and there's so many others I could mention too, but uh, I had to mention a couple. They're really even keel. Daniel Lacroix this past season, last season, this season, the same way, win or lose, they, you know, they're – they don't take it out on the media. Yeah. Well, what about, let's go back. Um, it was 2006, and it was the uh, Memorial Cup was being held in Moncton, and the infamous uh, Patrick Waugh uh, press conference <clears throat> of which he attacks uh, the Moncton goaltender, which was Torchman at the time, wasn't it? Torchman. Yeah, Josh Torchman. Yeah. Torchman. Mm-hmm. And uh, talk about that particular uh, May, a week of which uh, Patrick Waugh really became a focal point of of the event. Yeah. Well, I'll go back to the morning skate. In, in During the round robin uh, portion of the Memorial Cup that year in Moncton 2006, on the, I believe it was a Thursday night, um, Moncton and Quebec were going to play each other in the round robin portion of the tournament. So at on the Thursday morning press conference after the morning skate, um, there's some, each coach has to be available, have a certain media availability session. So I attended both. And at the Quebec Ramparts media availability session on the, on the game day skate, morning skate, you know, I asked Patrick Waugh a question. There's probably 50, 60 reporters there. And I asked Patrick Waugh, um, you know, the fact that you're a, former goaltender yourself does that make it easier for you to uh yes look at other goaltenders in this case Moncton's Josh Georgeman and watch video of him and pick out weaknesses that and that was your question avoid. right that was that your was question. question yes yeah that was my question and make it easier for you to look at other goaltenders in this case Moncton's Josh Georgeman on video pick out weaknesses that you can pass along to your team to help exploit it and his response to me at the morning skate in front of 50 or 60 other media was did Ted Nolan tell you to ask me that question. Ted Nolan was, of course, the Moncton coach mm-hmm. and caught me off guard. And I said, no, I said, I asked my own questions. And he said, well, you work for the Wildcats, don't you? And I said, no, I don't. I work for the Times and Transcript. Wow. The newspaper here in Moncton. I don't work for the Wildcats. I'm not, an, I'm not a Wildcats employee. I'm a Wildcats beat reporter. No more than the guy who covers the Montreal Canadiens for the Montreal newspaper is a Montreal Canadiens employee. Anyways, and he tried, he, he showed me up in front of a big group of people yes. that morning, and and I kept my cool and I walked away and I said my piece that morning. I said, "No, I'm not a Wildcats employee," and and he kind of said, "Well, it's the same thing." I said, "No, it isn't." Anyway, mm. that was fine. Then that night after the game, Quebec won the game four three. After the game, so I was I was ticked off to be honest with you the way sure. he treated me that morning, yes, <laughs> and offended. And then that night, Quebec won the game four three against Moncton. Post game press conference. Again, 50, 60 reporters there. And somebody asked him a question about the game. And he said, before I answer that question, he, and he looked at me, he said, I want to apologize to Neil Hodge for the way I treated him in this morning's pre- morning skate press conference. He said, uh-huh. I, 
I was he I was out of line. So then I I gained back a lot of respect because you know what he could have. In all honesty, he could have taken me aside one-on-one. He embarrassed me in front of a group of people, and he apologized to me in front of a group of people. Right. Wow. I thought he, I thought he handled it like a man, and because, you know, he could have taken me aside one-on-one, and, you know, I wouldn't have taken it the same way, but the fact that he apologized in front of the same group of people that he embarrassed me in front of. Yes. That made me see him in a different light. Yeah. But he's that type of personality, uh, Neil, that uh, the fans – uh, tend to dislike because he is uh, animated and he is a former, you know, Stanley Cup winner and played for the Montreal Canadiens, Hall of Famer and that and that sort of stuff. And I've told the stories to to Patty too. But when you get to actually have an opportunity to talk to him, he is quite a generous uh, a gentleman and a generous uh, individual with his time. Oh no question. I mean, he's he's a fiery guy, and he's yeah. like any other coach. He wants he wants to win and. Uh, He'll push the limits and do what he thinks is right, and uh, for for his team to win. And uh, he, he that's what that's his whole focus is on winning. And I guess that's what a coach's focus should be on. And uh, but no, you get him one on one. I mean, I gained a lot of respect back for him for the way he treated me that night. And I got to say, later that same year, maybe it might have been three four months after the after the Memorial Cup, I was at a gas station outside of Quebec City in the summertime, <laughs> and. He just, just by freak coincidence, he happened to be there. He wow. saw me, and he came over, and he came over and spoke to me, and we were talking about what are you up to this summer, and just having a, a non hockey chat. Wow! So, but but Neil, fact, he saw me and came over. Wasn't it considered that um, uh, the way he conducted himself at these news conferences seemed to put a real focus on him and really uh, took pressure off his team. Wasn't that the theme of what everyone thought was happening there? Yeah. I mean, I think he knew then, I think he knew that he had the best player, which was Alexander Radulov. Mm -hmm. And I think he knew that Moncton had the best overall team and that for his team to win the Memorial cup, the best player was going to have to be better than the best team on on that one given day. And I think he tried to take the pressure off his own team. Like you just said, Jerry. And uh, I think, you know, he manipulated the media and he, you know, he threw a storyline out there that he knew the media would bite on. And, and of course the media did and went crazy on the story. And he, he made it a kind of a Patrick Waugh versus Ted Nolan thing versus a yeah. Moncton Walkers versus Quebec Ramparts thing. And he turned it into a personal animosity thing between he and uh, Ted Nolan. And uh, a lot of people don't know that after that Memorial cup, uh, when Ted was named the head coach of the New York Islanders shortly after the Memorial cup, Ted actually ended up offering Patrick Waugh the goaltending coach job on Long Island. Wow. So they couldn't have hated each other that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first time I heard that one. You know, you know what? I'm going to embarrass myself here, boys, and I, I, I refuse to pick up my phone and Google this up, but that storyline of Quebec, Moncton, Waugh, Nolan, I don't even remember who the other two teams were in that in that Memorial Cup. Pe- Peterborough. Peterborough, and then from the west, Oh, well, oh, from Vancouver, the, the Giants. Vancouver Giants. Really? Wasn't Luchik? Luchik, yes, Luchik was on the Vancouver mm. Giant team. Right? Don't remember that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Neil, uh, let's let's talk about that final game. I mean, it's it's a watershed moment for the franchise. It's a watershed moment for the city. Yourself as a journalist, you're you're on the cusp of winning the Memorial Cup on home ice. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, take us through the the emotion of uh, of that day. I just remember that I'd never seen the Moncton Coliseum that alive, not electric, and it was jam packed. <clears throat> Truth be told, there's probably more than fire marshal capacity that day. I'm sure there was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Um, we can tell that. We can say now that there was more than fire marshal limit. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, the place was just going crazy, even in the warm-ups. I mean, fans were chanting "Go Cats, Go!" in the warm-up, and they had this, some noisemakers that they were giving away at the door that day, and people were banging these noisemakers, and the place was going nuts. So, mm-hmm. And and then, of course, then Moncton fell behind two nothing quickly. And then it was four nothing. Then they swore nothing after two. Keith Yandel came back, scored two two goals. Yes, I believe in the third period. He cut the deficit to four two. Moncton had a glimmer of hope, but uh, wasn't to be. And you know what? Moncton lost the game six two. Um, hmm. uh, Moncton outshot them that day. I believe it was forty. I know for sure Moncton had forty eight shots. I think it was shots were like forty eight twenty five. No, it was Cedric Desjardins, wasn't it? Cedric Desjardins. Yeah. From, a guy who was born in Edmonton and grew mm-hmm. up in Quebec, uh, he stoned them. He was the he was crazy the difference. To say that yeah. he was the difference maker. I know that sounds bizarre to say, but in a in a game when your team wins six one, your own goal is not usually the difference maker. But that day he was, mm-hmm. and 
He made a lot of point blank saves. Moncton had those were forty eight shots, and they were not shots from the perimeter. They were there were a lot of quality scoring chances. Oh no, that was a that was a great team. I asked you about yeah. I asked you about coaches that uh, you liked and and uh, availability and such. Was there a, a couple of players? You know when you find. Uh, a player that gives you what you want as a reporter yep. gives you the straight poop or the straight shit, whatever you want to call it. To yep. talks from his heart. Did you? You must have come across a few of those in your Wildcats coverage, or even a player on another team. Can you enlighten us about that? Well, I'm, I'm going to say even really recently here, uh, Jacob Hudson. Oh yeah, Wildcats captain this season. He was a guy wow. always spoke his heart. He you knew he wasn't going to sugarcoat things. He would tell the way it is. Um, Keith Yandel was very good like that. Uh, David Savard. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to go through the list. Matt Eagles when he was there. Yeah, Matt oh, yeah. was very well-spoken, yes. Well-spoken, articulate guys. The Seemed older than their age, more mature than their age. And, uh, you, know, you know what? I've, I've had really good dealings with – I feel fortunate because over the years I've had really good dealings with Wildcat players and coaches. And it's amazing to me because, you I mean – People forget sometimes these players are age, ages 16 to 20. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'm interviewing kids that are ages 16, 17, mm-hmm. and they're giving me good articulate answers to yeah. questions and having a microphone in their face. And I sometimes thought to myself, I don't know, how how would I have handled that when I was 16 years old? Yeah, right. right. I'm not sure I would have been able to give as good answers as most of these kids give me to questions. You've been on uh, many road trips, as I have, and Patty and I, I like, love to talk about road trips. And, and of course, uh, the fact that uh, uh, you play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, there's those three days and four nights or three games and three days type of, of road trips. Do you, do you, can you recall any, any uh, trips that were not the product on the ice but a disaster off the ice in regards to where you got to and how you got there and, and any of the calamities that might have happened on the road? Yeah, there's a few. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I want them. I want them. Let's have them. Well, let's, there's two that I forgot to mention there. When we talked about the Moncton Alpines in 95-96, I'll just mention two quickly there, and then we'll talk some Wildcats mm-hmm. again. But uh, 95-96 to the Alpines. I mean, there was a game in Shawinigan where they didn't have enough money. After team was team was cash cash strapped and <laughs> and uh, they they were losing money and bleeding in the red. And they didn't have enough money for a post game meal. And Shawinigan loaned them the money so they could have a post game meal on the bus on the way home Man, back to New Brunswick. Wow. Another game in another game in Shikudumi that year. They didn't have enough money to buy sticks. They were short on sticks. They had to borrow sticks from Shikudumi to play the game. Oh my um, God! <laughs> like were, Plattsburgh all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were a lot of people don't know this, but that first season with the Mountain Alpines, uh, there were times where uh, there were times where that team, let's say from Christmas onward, there were times where that team was bleeding so much in the red they didn't have enough money for hotels. They they slept on the bus. And, wow. Uh, things like that. Then other times, in terms of the Wildcats themselves, uh, I remember. I'm going to say this would be about uh, seven, six or seven seasons ago uh, doing a road trip to Bay Como. So drove to a place in Quebec, Matant, where you're supposed to go. You can drive to Matant, which would be about uh, two hours from Campbellton, mm-hmm. and yep. you take a three-hour three hour ferry ride across the St. Lawrence River from Matant, and you're in Bay Como. Was that the time you got sick? Um Oh, I'm oh, going to tell that story. I've you been, tell your story first. I've been seasick on that boat a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to Matant, and uh, and the winds were high, yeah. and they couldn't uh, they couldn't make the crossing, and had to be we had to be in Bakemo the next night for a game. So right. We had to do the long the long ten hour drive around up through Quebec City and back, and we only pulled into Bakemo like a few hours before the game time. And, so I slept at a ski ski resort in somewhere in the mountains that night, and uh, it was it was just a ten hours, ten or twelve extra hours of bus that nobody was anticipating. And then the same thing on the way home. It was a much longer trip on the way home because again they couldn't take the boat across again. So well, I think that, it's just a lot of when I think of traveling in that league. Um, there's so many interesting places. You I mean you have your bigger markets like Moncton, yeah. Halifax, Quebec City, you know these places and then St. John and then you, uh, but the league is primarily, I mean, 
probably at least half the league, if not more, is made up of small small markets. We're talking small towns, small markets. Uh, but you remember the time, Neil? Remember the time? Uh, and I never told Patty this. Patty said, uh, asked me one time, well, did you ever stay in Montreal? And I don't ever remember staying in Montreal. Usually we set up camp outside Montreal somewhere yeah. and we'd go in and yeah, play. If it was the Moncton, Montreal Juniors or it was Blainville, we set up camp somewhere else. But you remember the time we stayed? I don't know if it was playoffs or not. No, it wasn't. It was close to the playoffs, so and we stayed at the Frontenac in Quebec City. That's right. Yeah. That was, was that more than thrilled. once for you? It was only once for me. I can remember. I think. It, I think maybe twice. Twice that I've stayed. Yeah, there. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a thrill. That's a quite a, quite a building, and you're of course you're right in the heart of old Quebec. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And when you that's went up. into that old Coliseum or Colisee, they'd call it in Quebec City, and the history yeah. that was in there, and the fact that the press box was four, five stories up was very unique. But when you went there, you thought, hey, this is this is really cool be playing uh, in this rink uh, in this city. It was really, it was really a lot of fun. Well, it was really cool to cover a game there just because you're in the press box so high up, like you said, and, and you're literally almost at eye level with the championship banners from their uh, WHA days mm. <laughs> and all those Nordique, great Nordique teams and player championship banners from the Nordiques winning the WHA championships and, and division titles and whatnot. And then some of their play, the Nordiques WHA players uh, numbers being retired and, and that, and you're, you know, a lot of great, there's so much great history. And then just when you walk around the building, you see all these photos on the walls of former of their WHA history. And, uh, even the, even their NHL history as well on the so, walls. So yeah, it is a neat neat spot. And the and the building, even though it's big, even though Le Colisée is big, it's uh, I don't know. There's something about the it holds. It, it's not cavernous at all. No, it, it, it holds the sound. The sound bounces off the walls in there, and it, it's loud. I remember the other time, Neil, when uh, we were getting on, uh, we were going on the ferry, of which the ferry leaves from Matan goes right across the Bay Como. It's about two hour trip. And it yep. might have been breezy that day. can't remember who the coach was then, but um, I remember you uh, sitting in the uh, cafeteria be, you know, on, the, on the boat eating something before we we're going to leave. And he said, I'm, I'm, good, I'm just about, I'm going to take my gravel now. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. And I don't know if you gave me some or if I had some or something. And next thing I know, the boat is a rocking, and yep. all I could do was to look out the window and see, rather than see the the ship moving back and forth. But I could yep. hear, I could hear Neil, and Neil wasn't the only one in the bathroom and talking about some noises coming out of there. <laughs> it was a, it was there was a lot of people sick that particular day, and that was the challenge going across was whether or not the wind was blowing on the St. Lawrence. Yeah, no question. It's funny. I grew up on. In in uh, with my parents had boats a lot of times, and I'd never been seasick in my life until taking that boat across the St. Lawrence River, and I probably got seasick on that one about three times over the years. <laughs> and the funny line was, I think you said, "I don't think the gravel took." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Neil, perhaps again an unfair question, uh, but as we reflect on uh, your years covering uh, Alpine slash Wildcats, more so Wildcats. Um, you know, uh, those that make it to the NHL obviously had the talent to get there, but uh, some of your favorite uh, players over the years that uh, uh, to cover, to watch, I guess. Yeah, I thought I really liked David Savard. I thought he played an understated game. I mean, he led the team in scoring one year, but he wasn't. Yeah. Like a, I just thought he was just a tremendous two-way defenseman. Um, liked him. Nikola Riopelle and Nett. I mean, I thought mm. you know, Corey Crawford, those two goaltenders, I mean, they were unbelievable. They carried. They had the ability to carry a team on their shoulders and win steel games, literally steel games that perhaps teams didn't didn't deserve to win on certain nights. Um, Keith Keith Yandel was an electrifying offensive defenseman, and they'd never had an offensive defenseman like him. I mean, he could literally take the puck end to end and and take over take over a game and control the tempo uh, offensively. And I mean, Connor Garland. I mean, uh, <laughs> you have to mention him. You do. You have to mention them. Very fun to watch. Uh, if they ever retire a player's number, I mean, I think Connor Garland's number should be the first one they ever retire. I mean, mm. he's the only person to only Wildcat player to ever win the league scoring title, and he did it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil, just a, a quick thing on on, on Garland, and, and see if your your recollection is the same as mine. Um, first time we laid eyes on him, we were on a road trip 
and we didn't we have to go to the airport to pick him up and he rolls onto the bus and we thought yeah. this is because Neil and I would compare notes and we'd yeah. visit in our rooms together and mm-hmm. we'd talk and say mm-hmm. this is the guy yeah, I, I think I looked at you and said, "This guy looks like he's about seven years away from having kids." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he went out that night. I think he had two or three points in his first game that night in Victoriaville. And uh, in Victoriaville, yes, I think he scored in his first shift. Yeah, he did score in his first shift. And and uh, Danny Flynn told me after the game that night, I think he scored like about twenty six seconds into his first shift. And then he came back to the bench, and Danny Flynn went over to him on the bench, and I said, "Danny, what would you say to him?" And he said, "I asked him what took you so long." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil, uh, kind of the same question from a different perspective. Uh, obviously, oh, in the last uh, twenty years, uh, Crosby was uh, was the guy. How how good was he at Ian Ramuski at his young age to uh, watch? Unbelievable! I remember the first time Walcott's first game ever against him. I mean, he had, Ramuski won the game five. Five to three or five four, and he he figured it and all. He had five points. <laughs> he dom- he dominated the game as a sixteen year old. Yeah. I remember that year Moncton played against Ramuski in the playoffs and at the Coliseum. I remember there was lineups and people camping out to get tickets yeah. to the game. I mean, he just took the league and the the hockey world by storm. I mean, for him to win the CHL scoring crown and be named CHL play- most valuable player and as a sixteen year old, that's not that stuff's unheard of and. Uh, no, he was, and you know what? He after every single game, he was always the guy that the media asked yep, for yep. to speak to. Whether whether he was the the key guy in that game, I mean, he usually was the key guy. But even when he wasn't, the media still won. Ramuski could win the game four three, mm-hmm. and he didn't get a point, and they'd still want he'd be the guy they want to talk to. And the pressure he faced from the media, microphones in the face all the time. I mean, he he handled it so well and. You know, he never. I don't ever remember a time where he said something controversial or something yeah. that he had mm. to go back backtrack on. So he, I'm sure he had some good media coaching before getting there. Well, look at that parlays into my next question. I was going to ask you that. Uh, it, sometimes it's hard to separate, and I, I can reflect on my own radio career. You have those moments where you go, "Shit, I wish I had to save that." Um, so it's hard to separate Neil the journalist versus Neil the fan. But do you have an old shoebox under the bed there with uh, some old audio from Crosby or some of those players from back in the day? Um, no, I don't actually. Yeah. No, I don't have any uh, any old stuff. I, one thing I took a lot of pride in as 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 a journalist and a walk at beat reporter was uh, I always went to the rink, considered it my job. I mean, I love covering the team. I love watching the QMJHL mm. games and, and that. And I always said that I thought I had the best job in the world in terms yeah. of because if it wasn't my job, I'd be buying money. I'd be paying tickets rather than spending my own money mm-hmm. as, as a ticket holder to go watch them. So. I was getting into the games for free and writing about something that I would genuinely pay to go watch as mm-hmm. a fan. So, and uh, but I would uh, when I was traveling on the road with the Wildcats, you know, I tried to separate myself from the team. I traveled with the t- with the Wildcats on the bus, but I didn't eat my meals with the team. Um, the only time I spoke to the players, I mean, I'd say hi if I saw them in the lobby of the hotel, but mm-hmm. I spoke to them at the rink. I I didn't partake in team activities on the road. I didn't partake in team meals on the road. I went my own way, let them go their way. And the only time I dealt with them really was at the rink. And even when we stopped at restaurants along the way on the highway, I'd let them go have their team meal in one restaurant and I'd go somewhere else. And it wasn't to be antisocial at all. Um, There's Mm. a big difference between being friendly and being friends. Mm. And I thought it was important as a journalist for me to be on friendly terms with everybody but not be friends because at times I'm going to write things that they're not going to like. And I don't want them to take it personally when I do and thinking, how could my friend Neil have written that about me? Right. I didn't, I didn't want them to think of me as their friend. So Neil, I, I'm going to assume, and I, I, I presume correctly. I, I pr- assume you've never seen a, a Wildcats game at bleacher level. So let's assume it were September and the home opener was tomorrow night against the Halifax Mooseheads are, how different will it be for you to walk through the Avenir Center uh, ticket office, buy a ticket, and sit at at bleacher level and watch a game? It's going to be much different. I'll be I'll be a I'll be a if not a season ticket holder, I'll be a regular attendee at the games for sure. Sure, and and probably not only Wildcat games. I'll, if I'm in Bathurst on business, or if I'm in St. John, I'll go to their games too. I'm just a hockey fan, and I love all the teams really, and, uh, and love the league. But yeah, it'll be much different. I mean, when I'm going to take a while because when i'm watching the game from the stands i'm going to be thinking in the first intermission you know what i what i would have written about that per- period or 
I'll be looking for turning points. Is it mm-hmm. almost writing the story in my head? So mm-hmm. it's been, no, you will. It's going to take a while. You will, because when Quinn and I go to events, uh, go to a hockey game, <laughs> let's say we go up to Bathurst just to see a game, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd be, it would, we would feel odd that we're there not doing anything. We're just sitting yeah. there watching the game. It would, and, and again, rolling into your head, I'm watching the way I would have watched if I was broadcasting it and, uh, and, uh, and observing that way rather than just being a fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Coach calls a timeout at a certain time. You're thinking, geez, I'm going to ask him later, you know, why did you do that <laughs> time? Or what was your message during that timeout? Or, or why is this guy in the power play? Or why did you, why'd you take this guy off the penalty killing unit? Or why has this guy been promoted from the third line to the first line? You'd be watching. I'll be watching the game, and I'll have those kind of questions in my head as questions that I yeah they'll be unasked questions. So that might be a little tough for me to get used to at first. But during a regular season. Well, let's say the season starts in October, but leading up to that, there's a training camp. I mean, what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm where I'm going with this is it, for you, uh, covering the Wildcats was ten months of the year, wasn't it? I mean, you had a little vacation in the summer after the draft was over, and then you yeah. were, then you would start getting ready uh, for training camp. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that about right? Yeah, you, yeah. You know what? Training camp begins in a normal non in normal times. Uh, training camp begins right. the middle of August, so. I would start writing if if training camp begins on August fifteenth. I would start my coverage of the team probably around August the tenth. I know, yes, four, four or five days. There'd be daily stories in the week leading up to the training camp. So for me, my hockey season would begin like August August the ninth or tenth. Go right through training camp, begin this regular season playoffs. Depending on how far the team went in the playoffs, yeah. and, and then there's a draft in June. So the draft is always the first Saturday in June. So really. If the last three weeks of June, July, you know, there's about a, that's it. There's a little over two months. There, there might be about nine or ten weeks there where there's you no, know, where there's a little bit of downtime. Maybe ten weeks max, where because even when the Wildcats would get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs or not make the playoffs, I was I'd still be writing QMJHL stories about mm. New Brunswickers on other teams, and there's always Wildcats off-season news, trades for the pursuit of free agents, the signing of free agents. Uh, you know, look back at the past season. Well, you know, and your last, the, your last, your last bad, the ugly from the season that just happened, and look ahead to what the needs are for the future for the team. And there's countless stories to be had. And that's exactly what you did. Well, tell me if it was the last story that you wrote was about uh, former Wildcat Sean Stewart playing for for Charlottetown and, and a possibility of going to the final. Was that your last story? That was my last story ever. You have a good memory there. Good researcher. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's my. That was my final uh, story as a as a Wildcats beat reporter. Yeah. Uh, Neil, you've been uh, super generous with with your time here. We're kind of on the home stretch here, but uh, before we wind down. Um, I'm thinking of Mr. Irving. I don't know the man. I've been in his presence, said hello, shook his hand. Uh, obviously, you have uh, some form of relationship with him. Uh, fact of the matter is this. Halifax, Bathurst, and St. John have won Memorial Cups. They have the banners hanging from their rafters. Um, mm-hmm. A, does that kill them? And B, uh, does that fuel the fire? To I guess what I'm saying is how much does that mean to him? I think it means everything to him. I think it drives him crazy inside and stirs the fire inside that that he want it would it meant a lot to him. He wanted he desperately wanted to be the first Maritime team to win the mm. Memorial Cup. Clearly now he'd be no better than the fourth. That drives him crazy. I know it, he definitely wants to win the Memorial Cup. Uh, when I handed in my resignation at the newspaper this week, uh, the night before I handed in my resignation, I phoned Mr. Irving and uh, did a little chat. And I have a very good relationship with him. I've had a good off-the-record and on-the-record relationship with him over the years, and mm-hmm. he's been extremely supportive of me and uh, and appreciative of of my coverage of the team. And uh, I phoned him the night before. I said, Mr. Irving, I said, I want you to – this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm finished up at the newspaper. I'm handing in my resignation. I want you to know that uh, enjoyed covering your team, but I didn't want you to hear it from somebody else. I wanted you to hear it from me. Hmm. And uh, so he thanked me. We had a good chat. And the comment he made, he said, he said, uh, I wish we could have won a Memorial Cup for you. Wow. And I said, well, I, wish, I said, I wish they could have won a Memorial Cup for you. I said, you're the one that deserves it here. Hmm. And, uh, well, of course, the season that wasn't last season was he had built a team there, Neil. He had built a team, or they had built a team. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that and the fact 
when I gave when I phoned him to talk about my resignation, he we talked about the fact that last season uh, he asked me what I thought of last season's team, and we commiserated a little about the fact that it was the best Wildcats team ever, and we both felt that, and, and that it just wasn't meant to be in the with the world health crisis, of course. And, uh, but now it was a He's always been nothing but a gentleman with me and uh, first class to deal with in every way. And I can certainly see why the players love to come and play for the Wildcats because they're treated extremely well. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're in a world, world-class world building at the Avenir Center. They they stay in great hotels. Uh, yeah. mm. You know, the, the conditions and you know, I mean, a world-class gym mm-hmm. to work out. Uh, yeah, they have the best of everything, really. So it appears, just get one final uh, well, no, we got. We don't have to be one final, but in regards to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, it looks like Charlottetown and, and Valdor might meet in the final. No surprise there, though. But I still yeah. think Valdor uh, has has got the cream of the crop on their in their lineup. But anything can happen. Uh, what's your observations about uh, uh, getting down to the nitty gritty and, and actually a President's Cup going to be handed out? Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's remarkable the fact that that you know the, the QMJJ was extremely committed all season to getting through the season playoffs and actually awarding a championship trophy, whereas the OHL and WHL couldn't make it happen this year. And, you know, I've said before, and I'll say it again, I, I just admire the QMJHL's uh, uh, determination to get through this season and the fact that they dared to try. I mean, if, right. last, if last summer they could, the QMJHL could have said last summer that, you know, there's just too much going on with the world health crisis and, in this pandemic that we're going to take a year off and no, and I don't think anybody would have questioned them or, or anything about it. I don't think anybody would have criticized them. The fact they, they dared to try and uh, they have to be given a lot of credit. They've reworked the schedule several times. They had teams on COVID-19 timeouts throughout the season. They had so many hurdles to overcome to get to the point of even having getting through a a regular season. They had to change the the way the standings were formulated because everybody was finishing with different numbers of games played. It was phenomenal about the adjustments they made as they went. Yeah, so I really admire what they did this season. And uh, and then uh, I agree with you, it does look like certainly Valdor and Charlottetown. I mean, I think Valdor has to be considered the favorite, um, but we never know. It's a a guessing game, especially this year where they've never faced each other. Yeah. Neil, I I appeal to uh, journalist Neil here. and I realize uh, this is fresh, but have you ever uh, have you taken a moment to reflect on this? Um, let's assume there is a, a family of four in Moncton who might be able to get to, you know, let's say somewhere between one and five games in a regular season if, if the moon and stars align for them. And, and then for the balance of that year that you're their main connection to the team. Have you have you given that any uh, pause and reflection? Um. Not really, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no. But kind of when you when you put it that way, I mean, uh, I know it's reality what you're saying because there's a lot of people that can only afford to get to a handful of games a year, and they, right? And they do. But I, I guess I never put myself in the situation where we're thinking I I was the key guy. I I just always thought of it. Or if they had Rogers, they'd tune in and watch. Well, me. sorry, Jerry. Yeah, sorry. I'm just well, kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I no. But but the only reason I asked that question, Neil, uh, just just to just to it was just to to pave the road. I'm yeah. about to travel on here. Is this? Um, you know, I saw that ill-fated Alpine season. I've maybe seen, bought tickets for, oh, let's say 50 to 75 games as a Wildcat attendee. And I was fortunate enough to ride shotgun with Jerry in that 2010 President's Cup between Moncton and St. John. But other than that, my sole connection to the Moncton Wildcats is you. Exactly. And look, at I know more random facts, stats, and shit about the Moncton Wildcats. It's crazy how much that you're work passion has been implanted in my brain and, and that's a, a credit to the craft that uh, you uh, did so well well thank you it's very touching for you to say that you know i, I can say this it was a absolute pleasure and an honor to cover the, and a real privilege to cover the qmjhl and the moncton wildcats for 25 seasons it was i can say the same thing about my 33 years as a journalist i mean i covered the american hockey league for for six seasons as well uh Loved every minute of, of my 33 years as a, as a sports journalist. And, uh, you know, the, I, I just, uh, growing up as a young kid, I always said to myself, I was a typical young young Canadian kid, I wanted to grow up playing in the NHL, and then yeah. I got to be about 14 or 15. Neil was a goalie. No chance of that happening. He, right, Neil? You were a goalie, weren't you? Well, I wore the gear anyway. <laughs> 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 I was a target. 
But, you know, I wanted to play in the NHL like a lot of kids, and I get to, you know, age 13, 14, 15, I realize, okay, reality cooks in here. That's not going to happen. And then I had an English teacher in school that said to me, you know, you like creative writing, you love sports, uh, you should think about combining your two passions wow. become a sports writer. Mm. Thought about it, went for a tour of King's College Journalism School in Halifax. Yep. Um, found what? out that you needed to be bilingual to go there. I wasn't bilingual yeah. then, so then I went away for four summers of French immersion school to become bilingual, and then I... So I, I got to live my dream vicariously through other people. Like I, I was never a professional athlete, but I did get to make a living for 33 years writing about sports and yep. being involved. I got to write about, I got to make a living through sports, even though I wasn't a professional athlete. I, you know, way to put it. You, you know what, Neil, I have a very similar story to that, uh, but for that conversation with that teacher you referenced there, I, um, you know, who knows where the road of life takes you, and I, I had a very similar uh, conversation here uh, with a former educator who's now passed, um, and laugh all you want, but he literally cornered me one day and said, what are you doing in the fall year, in the year I was graduating, and I said, I have no idea, I'm just focused on getting out of here in June, and I'll deal with September when that rolls around, <laughs> and, and he literally said, look it, you've never shut your mouth in the 12 years I've known you in school, why don't you take this radio broadcasting course, and bang, uh, that that was as simple as that. Just a a chance encounter. And, and, and fast forward to what you referenced earlier. Uh, is it Jamie Tozer? Pardon me, boys. I know it's Tozer. Jamie, yeah, yeah. So yep. so Jamie says something of the same ilk to you, and uh, you know the the whole full circle circle of life thing. And man, that 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 stuff will not be lost in you as you move forward and move on. Yeah, and you just never know in life what turns and what twists and turns uh, any your road in life may take. I mean. I wasn't. Li- I was not looking to leave the newspaper. I loved my job covering the Walk Cup. Yeah. I was not looking. I was not actively looking to leave the newspaper or anything like that. A uh, job opportunity with the government of New Brunswick was brought to my attention uh, about two and a half months ago. I read. I read about the job opportunity. I reread it. I reread it again. It appealed to me. It spoke to me. Uh, I had a passion for travel, and yeah. this job is involved in that. And you know what? I I decided to apply for it, and and then. Uh, but I wasn't actively looking. It just this tremendous job opportunity came up, and I, I just felt like I I had to go for it, and uh, and I wanted it badly. So Neil, uh, uh, none of my business, but I'm asking anyways, and you can tell me it's none of my business. I can live with that. Uh, what what are you doing moving forward? What is the uh, what is the the next job? Okay, well I'm going to be working for the government of New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Um, I start the job on June the seventh. Mm-hmm. I'm the tra- travel media representative. I'm going to be working in the Department of Tourism, Heritage, and Culture mm-hmm. uh, within their destination marketing branch. So people might say, well, what, what does that mean, a travel media representative? Um, yes. There's, it's a multifaceted position. As the travel media representative, I will be, uh, I'll be writing a lot of tourism and travel stories right. for the New Brunswick government website, for New Brunswick government uh, publications, like hard copy publications you hold in your hand. The job posting said that uh, there's significant travel around North America involved in this job. So Wow. Oh, I'll awful. Be, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll be attending travel media conferences, uh, travel media seminars, trade shows. I have a New Brunswick booth set up. Uh, I'll be doing presentations in front of uh, travel media. Mm. Could be Los Angeles, Chicago, wherever. And talking to travel media reporters about New Brunswick and about the story ideas that could be had here. It's my job to feed them ideas that they're going to want to follow up on and come to New Brunswick to write about our province, write about our great province. And when they come to New Brunswick, I'll be the guy to escort them around and take them around and show them things and introduce them to story ideas. And wow. The more, the more we have travel media doing stories on New Brunswick, it's free publicity. Yes. Could spin, have great tourism spinoffs and especially in post COVID world, mm-hmm. that'll be, that'll be needed obviously. And, and in, in normal times, there's a, people don't realize it, but in normal times, there's a lot of travel media that come through, Yep. From from across Canada, yep. other parts of the U.S., even Europe, that come through the Maritimes. But so when they come to New Brunswick, I'll be the guy that they deal with. I'll help facilitate interviews, research. Uh, yeah. So then, well, j- j- just on that, just on that same note, Neil. Further to what you just said, there, I had a little run there at Tourism, Heritage, and Culture. Um, and you're 100% right. Like uh, I, I can vividly recall uh, a, a couple of folks who flew in to specifically do some salmon fishing, both on the Restigouche and our, our beloved uh, Miramichi here, and, and what it meant for the province to get that article in the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune or the L.A. Times. I mean, you yeah. can't uh, – you know this as a journalist. You're, you're about to find it out as uh, in your new role what that means you can't put a price on. Yeah, exactly. People – 
primarily know me as a Wildcats <laughs> beat reporter, but and that's mostly what I did at the newspaper, obviously. Mm. But for the past ten years, I've done extensive travel writing for the newspaper as well. Yeah, for uh, yes. Times Transcript and other Brunswick news publications, and that you know, in my travel is a huge personal passion of mine. I've been to twenty-seven countries uh, in several continents, wow. and uh, love everything about travel, experiencing other cultures. Uh, and anyways, I've. I've written travel stories, hundreds of travel stories over the past 10 years on destinations in other countries, uh, destinations in other parts of Canada, all around the Maritimes. And about a year and a half, I've written numerous travel stories about New Brunswick, too. And I started a New Brunswick travel series um, shortly after COVID-19 hit and I knew New Brunswickers were going to have to stay at home. I decided to embark on a New Brunswick travel series. Mm -hmm. And they were good. They were really good. Mm. Thanks just to shine a light on some things in our own great province that perhaps New Brunswickers take for granted or perhaps they don't know about. And so travel writing is a great passion of mine. And now I'm going to get to continue to do some travel writing for the government. uh, And also I know it's involved in travel writing because I've done it for 10 years myself. Mm. So I will know the needs of other travel media out there so I can help facilitate their jobs. And, and uh, hopefully that'll have spinoffs in terms of, more coverage of uh, all the great things we have to offer in New Brunswick and those things being written about and talked about in other uh, faraway mediums. Look at allow me to tug on your heartstrings here as I listen to you speak uh, passionately so it's as though it's as though this job was meant for you. Yeah. Well, it really really did speak to me. I feel so humbled and so fortunate because you know what? My first job as a sports writer I lived out a dream of making a living through yeah. sports. I couldn't play. I couldn't play professional sports for a living. Didn't have the talent or the ability for that. But I did get to make a living for thirty-three years in in the sports industry. And now my other great passion is travel. And now I'm going to get to make a living doing that. And I'm sure there's lots of other parts of the job that I didn't even tell you. But I start June seventh, and I'm sure once I get to Fredericton, and I'm and. Uh, you know, I'll I'll find out a lot more about the job and the uh, other aspects of it, and I'm very excited and uh, to get going there. Mm. Sounds perfect. It sounds like it's just for you. I don't know if anybody else ever had that position or they've created it for you, but I think it fits like a glove yeah. on on uh, on uh, your passion, which is important when you're writing anything. You have to have your heart in it, and it certainly sounds like that's where it is. Yeah, the job the job was existing already. It's been vacant for been a vacant position for a little while uh, somebody was on leave and then they finally decided to they, they realized the person that was on leave wasn't coming back so then they advertised they lucked out they lucked yeah out. they yeah. lucked out yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, and and I, I feel definitely that I lucked out too. Yeah. yeah, listen, on the home stretch of this, I'll go first, and then Jerry, you are, are more connected, so I'll let you guys have a moment. But uh, Neil, look at uh, thank you for your time today. Um, uh, you've been very generous with that. Uh, again, as I uh, as I said to you earlier, I know more about the Moncton Wildcats uh, than any human should, and that's in, entirely on you. <laughs> uh, look at the the former broadcaster in me. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't steal the odd Neil uh, Hodge tidbit and <laughs> take it to air by time. Uh, so thank you for that, and. Uh, I wish you well, and uh, I, I appreciate uh, your uh, journalistic integrity over the years. And uh, as a former member of that uh, world and business, um, there are uh, those uh, guys and gals who uh, who do it so well and so passionately are few and far between. So I thank you for that. Th- thanks. Your words mean a lot to me, Patty. I really appreciate that straight from the heart. Well, of course, you know, we've, we've uh, spent uh – times on the road together and I always joked with Patty that you would sit to my left and, and write your story but you based your story on what I was broadcasting because <laughs> we did think alike we very much did think alike about what we were seeing on the ice and who was performing who wasn't what the theme of the game was and uh, I always enjoyed that uh, banter that we that we had back and forth and you know and I put it out there this week regarding um, uh, Neil Hodge Covering the Moncton Wildcats for 25 years, there should be some wall of fame for the Moncton Wildcats, of which Neil Hodges' yep. picture, sure. be it as hideous as it might be, <laughs> <laughs> as cute as it might be, should be somewhere in that Avenir Center. Hey, how about this? How about naming the media center the Neil Hodge Media well, Center? Well, that's the other thing yeah. we could talk about. I yeah. mean, Neil, you, you know, I know you're a humble man, but you, you certainly to have been able 
to communicate via a printed word mm. about the team you were covering for 25 years. And like Patty said, you know, and, and times when I wasn't covering the team, I was still reading all your articles and being in touch like I knew the team, even right. though I wasn't at the games. Mm-hmm. We certainly thank you uh, 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 for that and, and, your, and your friendship for sure. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Your, your words are really heartfelt, and uh, I really appreciate coming coming from you guys in particular. Two guys I, I really respect a lot. Well, that really means, means really, really means a lot to me to hear those words. So, thank you very much. Uh, I, I do appeal to tourism, heritage, and culture, Neil. As you get these uh, scribes and folks from points beyond, uh, please bring them up and don't let them forget about uh, some of the hidden gems here along the Merrimack. Yeah, you come visit us if you wouldn't mind. Definitely, no question about it. All right, Neil. Thanks so much. Thanks, okay, Neil. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for having me aboard.